You don't just Correct. open up the board and roll the dice and move the pieces. You got to know the rules and what you can and can't do. That's kind of what self-directing is and investing in alternative assets. You just got to learn the rules and what you can and can't do. Do it with someone that's done it before, that has some expertise, or read the rule book, so to speak. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my Great to Wealth listeners. Today, I am bringing to you somebody who's going to help you find money where you think you don't have it to invest in the past, to invest in real assets to get passive income for you. That name is Matt Sorensen. Matt Sorensen is a tax attorney, and he's also the CEO of Directed IRA. Matt, how are you, buddy? I'm excellent. You know, usually people, when they hear tax attorney and they're listening to a podcast, they turn the dial back. They hey, turn it off. Yeah, I'm like, this is good. Okay. I got some good stuff for you. I promise. Yeah, no, I, you know what? It's kind of funny. I've always been thinking about my journey in investment started about five to six years ago. And I had no idea at that time that we can take the IRA, use the IRA to invest in real assets. Because my thinking, like probably most of the nation is that you can only use it for stocks and bonds and paper assets, yeah. right? That's what the financial services companies wanted you to think, you know. Exactly, <laughs> man. Exactly. That's what they sell, so, you know. Matt, before we go into the IRA piece of it, yeah. I want to understand your story. We want to yeah. understand your story. So help us understand your migration journey mm-hmm. to what you're doing right now. Oh. How, how did you get there? Yeah, in 2006, I just had a client that wanted to buy real estate with an IRA. I'd been out of law school a couple of years, never heard of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I worked in a financial services company through law school, never heard about it. And so I was like, are you sure you can do this? You know, and then the attorney I was working for now, he's my partner in our law firm. Mark had done it with a few clients and maybe a dozen clients or so. And so he knew kind of that you could do it and some basics. And so I just got into it and became fascinated with it. And what I realized was no one was an expert on this. There yeah. were some attorneys that had done some trainings for other attorneys there was some books out there, but they were all garbage. They were like either wrong or they just scratched the surface of what was possible and then didn't really get into like, okay, now I'm going to do it. Like, what do I do? You know, it was right. So I thought there's an opportunity to become an expert in something. And I just liked the idea that your IRA could own a private company. It could Mm -hmm. invest in a private fund. It could own real estate. You know, you didn't have to just buy a stock bond or mutual fund. So I just went after it and wanted to become the expert at it. And wrote the number one book, spoke all over in the industry, represented half of the industry as outside counsel. I've like consulted Congress, government agencies in this field. So I've done quite a bit in this space, been published by other professional associations, my articles. So I kind of really carved out a niche in this area and then started my own company offering the accounts directed IRA. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff in between there. It's been 14 years of going yeah. up. <laughs> That's the gist of it. I think we could say that you know one or two things about using self-directed IRAs. That's a good thing. Yeah. 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 If I don't know the answer, probably no one else does. Like, I've done this <laughs> a long, long time. I have a lot of clients pay me a lot of money to yeah. figure stuff out. So That's good, Matt. So I think that's the guy we want, right? That's yeah. really the kind of guests we want to bring on our shows who have who have seen different things. Like They're not learning yeah. fresh. So it seems with your background. Now, how did you, let's actually take a few steps back, even before you got into the IRA world, uh, yeah. or self-directed IRA world, your law, your tax attorney. I don't think yeah. a lot of people grow up to be, that's not the <laughs> profession they want to become when they talk yeah. about where they want to grow. How did you get there? 
So this is a good question. I really in law school, I took federal income tax. It's the kind of like tax one in law school. Mm -hmm. And I just became very fascinated with it because it was the first thing in law school that was practical. Everything else in law school is all theoretical. You're reading cases. And I was like, yeah, that's interesting. And yes, this touches on big things in the world. And I was at in Maryland at the time, the University of Maryland, I was very much in like what's going on in DC and, yeah. you know, and the Supreme Court cases. I was into that. But the tax stuff was just super practical to me. And it's interesting. I was a teen dad. I was a parent. I was a dad at 18. And so I had kids all through college and law school. Well, yeah, I took federal income tax and I realized I'd been doing my tax returns wrong. Mm. I mean, I was broke. Like I was broke in law school. So uh, as broke as you could be. But I applied for, I didn't realize that the earned income tax credit was refundable. Mm. I just zero out my return and go to zero and be like, I don't owe tax. No, I was owed because I had two kids already in law school. And, you know, right. I was working full time actually through law school. So I still had income. But I, I ended up getting over a $10,000 refund back while in law school of what I learned in my mm. tax class. So it just hit me as very practical. And as I learned more about it, I'm like, the number one expense of business owners is that have any success is taxes. taxes. It's not payroll, you know, <laughs> it's taxes. Oh, and so I took all the other tax classes I could in law school and then um, ended up finding my way and working with my partner, Mark, who's an attorney and CPA. And we have a KQS lawyers, our law firm. We're helping clients across the country on business and tax stuff. Mm -hmm. So then within that, I kind of got to the niche of self-directed IRAs, but you know, I don't think I've ever told that story on a podcast, but that was the genesis of how I got into tax. <laughs> That's really interesting, right? Because I think you kind of your one class kind of paid for your uh, paid for your journey there. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know about that. It was the law school was one hundred and thirty grand, you know. But at that uh, time, yeah, probably yeah. now it's like two hundred and four hundred k. That type of money was huge for me, you know. At that time, that was of course, it was a big deal. Of course, and so it just hit me as very practical. And I took a tax clinic too, and mm -hmm. we helped people who couldn't afford attorneys but had issues with the IRS. And I just saw all of the problems and misunderstandings and complications of it, but also the opportunities right. for the people who know how to do it right. Yeah. And so it seemed like something very valuable to learn. So Matt, one thing I want to talk to you about, like when you were telling your story, you specifically mentioned a word, a specific avatar specific customer business. And you said the biggest expense in the business is taxes. Maybe I can, I'm drawing some parallels here. I think mm -hmm. that's also true in your personal life. People think the biggest expense is mortgage. <laughs> I really think it's actually the taxes. You can right. live without a mortgage. You cannot live without paying taxes. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's two things are certain in life, death and taxes. So yeah. yeah and I think it's particularly for people trying to build wealth right? Like, you know, great, inherit it, you know, okay, great. No, I got to go earn it first. Well, right. you're going to get taxed as you earn it. And right. so optimizing that so you get to keep as much of the money you're working hard for is what's really important. And as you get into self-directed retirement accounts, that's really a principle in how people use and why people use IRAs and 401ks to save and build wealth is because it's tax efficient. It right. keeps more money working for you rather than when you're making money, you got to send a check to the IRS because you made money. So that was a, another reason why specifically retirement accounts became a focus for me is because I learned, oh, people can build wealth in a tax-free for Roth accounts or tax-deferred yeah. manner, which keeps more money working for them, more money investing, which in you know, 20, 30 years of investing is huge. You just run the numbers on it. It's significant. Yeah. I recorded a podcast, probably 10th or 11th episode. And I, I'll make sure I... 
include that link in the show notes below, but it was really more about, I think I took the position that you think you don't have money. You don't have the cash, right? You need to have mm-hmm. $100,000, $50,000, $25,000 in liquid cash before you can start building your journey to passive wealth. And that whole position was, you may be surprised to understand that you have a whole stash of money <laughs> sitting somewhere which is accessible to you, but you can't. So I think let's go right. deeper on that, Matt. IRA, yeah, right? I'm- a lot of folks have financial advisors or mm-hmm. at least they think they have financial advisors, but they just have Wall Street representatives. So right. <laughs> if IRAs were so powerful to invest in assets that are outside of the stock market, which is it's beyond the bonds, the funds, the mutual funds and stuff like that. If they were so powerful, why are we hearing on these kind of podcasts where we're helping people to do that? What's mm-hmm. the gap? Why are we talking about it and the financial advisors are not? Well, there's 30, let me say a couple things wind up to that, to answer that. There's $30 trillion in retirement accounts in the US. I mean, there's no more money anywhere to invest in anything. Like, And so a lot of people listening might have their own little sliver of that $30 trillion, mm-hmm. you know? But for many people, it's their most investable piece of money that they have to grow and build their wealth. Well, when retirement accounts first came out, the financial services industry was like, oh, people actually like saving in these accounts. They get a tax deduction when they put it in if it's a traditional account or they grows and comes out totally tax-free if it's a Roth account. And so they're like, well, we're going to open up these accounts and provide them to our customers. And what are we going to let them buy and invest in? what we already sell, right. you know? Right. So, and then the insurance industry came along and they're like, wow, people are really saving in this. We should let people open up IRAs with us. And so if you're New York Life or Northwestern Mutual, you're like, you can have an IRA with us. And what can you buy with that account? Annuities, because that's yeah, what we yeah. sell. You know? right. And so the kind of the alternative asset industry or the private industry is not as organized as in that manner as the insurance or broker dealer industry. And so, and financial advisors haven't figured out how to make money in the alternative mm-hmm. asset industry as much. That's changing now a little bit. And so Wall Street, really, for lack of a better generic word, but Wall Street has just dominated it. They figured out how to make money. They already sell these products is what people think is the only option to invest in, but it's not. It's just what's currently offered. So you can buy a private company. You can invest in a private fund or a startup or buy the rental property down the street. You just can't do it at a broker-dealer IRA. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is use a company like ours, directed IRA, and move that money. It can be a piece of the IRA or you know the whole thing, whatever you want to do. You move it to a self-directed IRA with us, and then we'll let you buy real estate or invest in an LLC or a private company. And so it's the same principles of your retirement account. It's just you have different investment options now. Yeah. I think that that's great, right? Because I think it's more, you're breaking the mold. Now, financial advisors are not saying which I'm pretty confident they're not saying you cannot invest in other things. I think what they're trying to say is, and they do it very smartly, they're saying, given the vehicle you are using right now, which is their brokerage account, that brokerage account doesn't allow you to invest in other asset classes. Right. If you actually ask them the question, can you? If you ask a direct question, if I take my money outside of you, am I allowed to open up an IRA somewhere else where I can go buy a piece of property? Yeah, I think if they're fiduciaries, they I don't know the others, but fiduciaries are definitely are obliged to tell you the right answer, which is going to be yes. Then there's going to be a big but. I don't recommend that. But yeah. that's not the question you ask them. You ask yeah. them the question: Can you invest or not? Right? Yeah, and that's you know, advisors have some self interest, and you know, for 
better or worse. And they're not the only profession out there that has that and the advice they give. But, you know, and I get this all the time, even for clients that don't have an advisor, you know, they just have an IRA at Fidelity. They call Mm -hmm. 1-800-FIDELITY and they're like, hey, I want to buy the rental property down the street with my IRA. Can I do it? And they're like, nope, you can't do it. End of conversation. Yeah. And it's not because IRAs can't own real estate. It's because IRAs at Fidelity can't own real estate. You know? Correct. Correct. And correct. So correct. Correct. You just need to move your account to a custodian who lets you invest and own those assets. I mean, we've had clients buy, I had a client buy a pretty big stake in a Mexican soccer team. You know, mm-hmm. my partner Mark bought livestock. He bought cows with his HSA account. You know, right. I just buy real estate because I self direct my retirement account too. And I bought real estate and done some short term hard money lending and such which is popular too. So, but these are assets that have always been there. It's just right. financial advisors, they don't get trained on it because the companies they work for don't make money on it. Yeah. Now, you know what? It's, I recently met somebody who was pretty high up at Fidelity. And what they were saying is Fidelity sees a lot of opportunity to expand themselves into the alternative asset classes. So yes. like, okay, tell me more. Who is it exposed to? It's mm-hmm. only open to people who have million dollars and above. Yes. Right. Let's actually, just parse that out. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I've ran across those throughout the years. And a lot of the places, if you call and say, can I do this with my IRA? If you're ultra high net worth or there's some high net worth category that they place, they will allow mm-hmm. you to do it. And you're working with a specialty department within these right. larger banks or financial services companies. So, but the typical person in the training and, you know, everybody is like, no, you can't do you it. Can. So, yeah. Yeah. Even at Schwab, for example, you used to be able to do it. When I got into this in 2006, they were very open to, to alternative assets and even just buying and investing in an LLC in a small business or a, buying real estate. But they kind of stopped that in 07, 08. But you can still buy alternatives through them as long as you have an advisor, you right. know. But you can't get in there if you don't. And then they have additional criteria for the advisors on the client being able to do it. So, yeah. But it is kind well, of you, like what the wealthy have done, you know. Correct. That's what also been super popular. It's been the fastest growing investment category. Period. Is just alternative assets in general, and there's a lot of things in alternative assets. But it's just seen a lot of interest from high net worth people, institutions, mm-hmm. and everyday Americans have kind of been locked out of it, unfortunately. Yeah, um, which is kind of sad because I think what they're telling the message is that odds are riskier than the yeah. stocks and the bonds and your mutual funds, right? Which is not necessarily true. I mean, everything is risky except buying a toaster, giving you bread. Even that's risky because you may turn the, yeah. you make it too dark and the bread is burned. But <laughs> it's really everything in life is risky. But I think your risk has to be qualified, right? If you understand it, and if you're working mm-hmm. with somebody who understands it, who can explain it to you, you at least know yeah. what you're investing, right? And it's not just because ultra wealthy people have, however they qualify that term, have more risk appetite. That's not necessarily true. Would you agree with that, Matt? Yeah, and I think within alternative assets, it depends on what where the you know some are risky, some are. You know, sure. you could be investing in a venture capital fund, or you could mm-hmm. be investing in a startup, which we have clients do. That is on a higher level of risk. It right. also has a higher upside, typically. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> you could be investing in a single family rental. You know right. that you own a hundred percent of pretty low risk, you know, especially when you look at it compared to the stock market, which has been a roller coaster. Even even if you just take the S&P 500, the, how that's gone up and down, let alone a lot of the individual stocks that are within the asset class that you could buy with an IRA right now on mm-hmm. your phone with Robinhood, you know, any American could. Yeah. And so within the alts, there's different categories of risks, but 
my philosophy has always been let people invest in what they want. I mean, it's their right. money and a lot of people want to invest in what they know. You know, I'll speak to a group of people at a real estate conference and I'll be like, how many of you have a retirement account? Two thirds of the room raises their hand. How many of you own a mutual fund? Everybody's hands up. How many of you can even tell me what the mutual fund's called? There's really like one or two people. Yeah. Very rare. That, well, they can they even tell you what it's invested in. Correct. You know, Correct. but I'm Correct. like, you know, can I say, can anyone recommend a good mutual fund? Everybody's hand goes down. How many of you could tell me a good real estate deal right now? Everybody's hand goes up. I'm like, what's yeah. off here? I could do the same thing. I've done it with tech angels, tech coast angels. You know, I spoke there and it's like, you should be investing in tech. Like that's what you do. Because that's what you, you know? know. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have clients, you know, like I, I had a dental client, client that was a dentist investing in a, like a mouth guard thing, you know, for the dentist would primarily sell. They're like investing in what they know. Well, right. in the stock market, what I'm going to do, I'm going to buy like Colgate, you know, let me use my money that I burn to invest in the stuff I like. And so mm -hmm. that's something I really believe in letting people have the freedom to invest in what they know and have the benefit of it. And also at the downside, if it doesn't go well Correct. too, it's their money, Correct. you know? Correct. No, I agree. I think most people are investing in anything they do blindly to begin with. My company has told me there's this five mutual funds they have carefully selected for me. And that's all I have. Yeah, we all know what that careful means, but that's all right. That's a separate conversation. Yeah. Well, I don't have any other option to do, right? So you're basically going in blind in anything you're doing. Uh, yeah. If you take a little bit of time to self-educate, it doesn't take, it's not rocket science. It's yeah. really is not. I think the, unfortunately, the financial industry, the Wall Street had made these jargons so complicated to understand that there's the mm -hmm. biggest fear. You don't want to look stupid because yeah. uh, for asking a question that everyone thinks you should understand. But that's not a personal, I think it's really a shame of what mm -hmm. the financial industry has done because it's investing is not difficult. Investing takes, understanding your investment, developing investment thesis takes a little bit of time, yeah. but it's not, we're not talking about years. We're yeah. talking about weeks or months, depending, especially real estate doesn't take years of investing to understand. Yeah. Now it may take time to find the right deal. That's a completely separate conversation. Sure. But assets like real estate, you already understand that most people have at least gone through purchasing a house or know somebody who has purchased a house, right? Yeah. So I know this conversation is not about alternate assets, mm -hmm. so we're going to go back to IRA now. So now help us yeah. understand, right? So Matt, we talked about the thesis, right? The reason why the money is locked into IRA is because there's an education gap. Let's assume that we have at least inspired people to ask the right question of how can they invest rather than can I invest? So let's say they mm -hmm. have asked that question now, okay, how can I invest? And they have been informed that if you go to a self-directed IRA company like yourselves, you may be able to unlock that money. So what yeah. does that process look like? And how does somebody do a, does a due diligence on what mm. is the right self-directed company, does self-directed IRA company for them? Okay, yeah, let me go through the process, then I'll, add, I'll answer the question about the right self-directed IRA company. So process, it's really three steps. So step one is you need to open the self-directed account. And I'll come back to mm -hmm. choosing the right place to do that. Sure. But so you want to open the account. Let's say you've got a traditional IRA at TD Ameritrade. Open up a traditional IRA at Directed IRA or whatever self-directed company you're using. Mm -hmm. You've got a Roth IRA at Fidelity. You're going to do a Roth IRA at you know, Directed IRA. Now, the mm -hmm. one roadblock some people have when they open the account is they're like, well, I've got a 401k, but it's an employer I still work at. A lot of times your money's locked up there. You can't roll it out or move it while you're still employed Got unless it. you're retirement age of 59 and a half or older. So if it's an old employer 401k, that can always roll over to an IRA. Mm -hmm. 
that mm-hmm. can be self-directed, but just know current employer 401k plans can be sometimes locked up. Okay, so step one, we open the account and we got the right account type based on the money we're rolling over. Most people who self-direct are not opening an account and putting in 6,500 bucks for their annual contribution. You know, yeah. They're rolling over an existing pot of money from somewhere else where they've saved. Mm-hmm. Step two is you're funding it, which is, again, this is this rollover I'm talking about. It's not typically a new contribution, though you can, but you're rolling it over. And then step three is you're investing it. And all self-directed IRA custodians don't provide investment options. So you'd have to come with the investment you had in mind. The piece of real estate you want to buy, the you know you want to lend money on a real estate deal, you want to invest in a private company or a private fund, an LLC, limited partnership, whatever it may be, you know, you choose the investment and then you authorize us to make the investment for on behalf of your account. So your IRA will end up owning the investment asset. Your IRA gets the income on it. If you sell the asset, your IRA gets the gain that comes back to it. And then you have all the money in the IRA to go invest in the next deal. So nothing's coming back to you personally. This is all contained in your IRA. Just like when your IRA is buying you know, stock and you buy Facebook mm-hmm. and you sell it and the gain goes back and then you decide to buy Amazon, you know, whatever. It's all the gains and everything's contained in the IRA. It's not coming on your 1040 or on your tax return you're going to pay taxes on. It's all staying in the IRA. So it's three steps, open, fund, and then invest. Got it. So it's basically just like a traditional IRA. Open, yeah, it's, fund, invest. Yeah, It's, it's exactly simple. the same process, right? Yeah, it's just the invest is a little different because you're going to yeah. have an investment thing that you want to invest in. But now checking the right custodian on the first step of who do I set up the account with, I'll first just say directed IRA is the best. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say a couple of things you want to look for. And this was even me before I had directed IRA. I was an attorney sending my clients to other people who are now our competitors. Mm -hmm. The first thing you want to do is look for companies that are either banks or trust companies. In order to custody an IRA, you have to be a bank, a credit union, or a trust company. We're a trust company. What's a trust company? You're licensed by the banking department and you're examined by the banking department. You have capital requirements, not to the extent a bank does, Mm -hmm. but you don't, you're not depository. So trust company is allowed to hold assets on behalf of other people. And so state banking departments, there's national trust charters, but most trust companies are licensed by a state banking regulator, which is what we are in the state of Arizona. And then we can do business in all 50 states. But when you get into the rules for IRAs, it says the custodian of an IRA must be a bank, credit union, or trust company. And so the reason I say that is there are some companies that are none of those, but yet Mm. they do self-directed IRAs. They call themselves administrators. And what they'll do is they'll have a trust company behind them that's on the documents, but really isn't in control of the business and the process. That is not good. I do not recommend it. There was a company in Utah that had that structure. I've been doing it for 20 to 30 years. A bunch of cash went missing because they mismanaged the money. They basically, the owner of the business stole the money and a lot of people cooperated in it. And the guy went to prison for 10 years. So there are like, you want to basically be at a regulated company is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's audited, that it has a bank examiner, you know, and even we've gone through this banking crisis recently. And the fact that they're audited and even the crypto stuff that, you know, money's missing. Okay, they were not audited. There was no bank examiner going into their stuff. So I think that provides a little bit of comfort for someone in looking for a company that has a reputation. And the second thing I would look for, though, is just the typical thing you look for any business you're going to do with. What do other customers of theirs think? You know, you can find those on Google, 
ask around in your industry, you know, I mean, we're trying to get better known in our industry and we've grown very quickly. We've built a solid reputation and, and our clients definitely sing our praises. So that's our opinion. We just hit 500 five-star reviews recently. Oh, that's um, awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're highest rated in, on Google, which is the only place we can go to kind of compare our customer service to our competitors. So yeah. check for how they're regulated and then ask around, see what the reputation is amongst their customers they already have. What about fees? Are all self-directed IRA companies created equally in terms of fees? No, big variation there. I would say there's a range, maybe 300 bucks on the low end, which is actually where we are. We'll be, I'll be honest, we'll be raising our fees here shortly, just a little bit, mm-hmm. but you'll have some companies that are, it's over a thousand dollars a year to have an account there. So there's a couple of different fee models. We ba- there's really three different fee models in our industry. We are a flat fee, no matter how many assets. So mm-hmm. Like right now, our annual fee is two ninety five a year, fifty buck new account fee, fifty dollar fee when you're buying or selling an asset. That's it. Sure. We have some wire fees, you know, or like you know an, an expedite mm-hmm. fee if you're trying to do something like next day or something. The other one fees model is they have a fee per asset, so it might be three hundred bucks or four hundred bucks or five hundred bucks per asset you hold. And Got so it. for certain people that invest in. You know, we have a lot of people who just will invest in private funds or companies at 50000 a piece, you know, and they might have three or four of those. Well, for them, they're going to pay over 1000 bucks a year with, for their custodian to hold that because it's per asset, whereas with mm-hmm. us, it's only one flat fee. Then the last one is ones that have like a, a they have an asset under management type fee. That's a basis point fee. Those are the most expensive in our industry because if you have a larger account, that's the more money you pay in fees. So those are the three different yeah. fee models. And Matt, I kind of know the answer. But I'm going to ask you the question anyways. Just like anything else in life, the more you pay, the better you get. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There are, yeah. You know, it's interesting in our industry where fees have gone since I got started. Everybody's gotten a little more efficient. Technology's helped that. So fees have not been, you know, going too crazy. But it's different. And that's the hard thing a lot of people struggle with when they self-direct is, you know, the broker-dealer space doesn't charge account fees anymore. They get payment for order flow. So they make money when you're transacting and buying and selling stuff. So they're paid by the places they place the orders. So they don't charge fees. And a lot of people, they get to it and they're like, wait, I got to pay a fee for my IRA. It's really hard to get in their head. And it's like, yeah, we're not getting paid to invest your account. We don't make a commission. There's no payment for order flow when you buy this piece of real estate or this private company. And so we just have flat fees for our services. That's perfect. Now, I think the other point we want to talk about is, and again, you, you said in passing, because it's probably second nature for you, is mm-hmm. more around, you're not the advisor. You're just a custodian, yeah. right? That's yeah. a very important <laughs> distinction because yeah. when you're talking to your financial advisor, you can ask them questions. Is this the right opportunity? Now, they may or may not be qualified to give you an opinion, but they will give mm-hmm. you the opinion. Yeah. And in your case, you're holding a line that if you ask us a question, should I invest in this or not? Your answer is, it's completely up to you, Socket, if you want to invest. Yeah. Let us know what your decision is and we'll support it. But we're yeah. not going to help you evaluate a deal. Is that correct? Exactly. We're just going to look at it. Can we hold the asset, you know, Correct. and is it administratively feasible? We're not looking yeah. at it. Is, are you going to make money or lose everything? And so, and all of the self-directed custodians are the same and you're signing off on that. When you go to invest something that like, I know what I'm doing, I'm making this on my own decision. So people got to kind of go out and find their own deals and investment opportunity. And, you know, we have an alternative asset investor summit. It's going to be in June. It's altassetsummit.com that I actually host with some other people, but there's 
private equity funds there, venture capital funds, real estate funds, single family real estate people. You know, there's a whole gamut of alternative asset people that are going to that because we're trying to create educational awareness about what people need to know and like, how do I analyze these deals? It's a little different than like right. getting on, you know, whatever website you like to analyze stocks, you know, <laughs> it's, just, yeah. it's, it's very a little different. different but, very different. Yeah. But like you said earlier on another comment about it's not rocket science. I mean, I say that quite a bit <laughs> just because I'd like clients to know there is a learning curve, but it's yeah. not complicated. No. I like to say no. it's not rocket science. It's more like a board game. It is not complicated, but you do need to read the rule book or play with someone Correct. who's done it before. You don't just Correct. open up the board and roll the dice and move the pieces. you got to know the rules and what you can and can't do. And so that's kind of what self-directing is and investing in alternative assets, if you're new to both, is you just got to learn the rules and what you can and can't do. Do it with someone that's done it before, that has some expertise or read the rule book, so to speak. That's where I always plug my book, the self-directed IRA handbook. I'm looking around here if there's a copy, but <laughs> uh, but there's other educational stuff. Then you got to educate yourself on the assets, you know? Yeah. But we get people all the time who are already like up to speed on whatever they want to invest in. They already have expertise in that. They've already done it personally. They're just now, I want to do it with my IRA. So everyone's got a little educational hurdle, but like you said earlier, it's not rocket science. But maybe it's like a board game. <laughs> I think I like that analogy, right? Because you need to understand what you're doing. If you're not going to be playing by the rules there to you your go. own detriment, right? No one's going to help you at that point. But I think having a custodian actually prevents you from buying assets that you're not supposed to own in IRA, which leads me to my next question. <laughs> yeah. Can I can self-directed IRA own anything and everything? Are there certain things that we're prohibited to own? There's very few things that are restricted, and people are usually surprised by this. So collectible items are restricted. This would be like art or a collectible car, antiques. You know, These are assets you actually used to be able to buy with retirement accounts when they first came out, but there was a ton of abuse of it. The wine collections people were buying turned into bottle collections. <laughs> and so Congress came out and like restricted collectibles. Life insurance is restricted in IRAs, and then S-corporation stock. That's it. You can buy LLCs, limited partnerships, C-corps. Just, IRAs just don't qualify as a shareholder of S-corporations. So those are only three things you can't buy. There's a rule of what are called the prohibited transaction rules that kind of restrict who you can transact with or who mm -hmm. can use the asset when you buy it. It's most tangible in real estate. For example, if I bought a piece of real estate with my retirement account, I can't live in it or stay at it. Right? It's got to be held for investment purposes. We're not saying oh, I'm just going to buy a second home mm -hmm. and I'll live in it in the summer or winters and rent it out the rest of the time. No, no, no. Yeah. This has got to be held strictly for investment purposes. Also, you can't like transact with yourself. It's like if I own assets now and I'll get the common question like, hey, I own some real estate now or I own some options in a company and I, you know, can I sell them to my Roth IRA or move them into my Roth IRA? No, Congress thought of that. They knew we would try to move assets that were going to go up in value to our retirement accounts to avoid the tax. And so mm -hmm. they restricted us from transacting with ourselves or with our spouse, kids, or other family members. So there's a little bit of rules there if you're when you're investing. But if you're like, no, I'm just investing to hold an investment asset. I have no intents to personally use it. I'm not involved anywhere in the transaction personally or my family. If that's the case, really, most of the rules are never going to apply or, or conflict with your investment decisions. Perfect. And Matt, in terms of real estate, let's talk about that for a second. So let's say I bought an investment yeah. property with directed with my money in directed IRA with you guys. 
and yeah. I buy it now. Can I manage it myself? Can I get a loan on it by myself? I know you said that you can't live there, but can I put my own sweat equity into all these properties or is that prohibited as well? That is prohibited as well. So let's say you're buying a property to flip it, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. Your IRA can own a property and it can flip a property, but you can't go put on the tool belt and work on it. Whether you pay yourself or don't pay yourself, there's something called a self-dealing prohibited transaction that says you can't provide services or, you know, to the retirement account to basically to improve the value. But what you can do is you can administer and manage the investments. So you can go to the property. You can tell a contractor what to do or a handyman what to do. You can make sure they did it. You know, you can pay the bills from the IRA, you know, for these things to happen. So you kind of just got to stay to administrative and managing, which is I always say is like the paperwork, the contracts, the decision making. Don't get into the physical labor side of it. That's when you'll start violating the rules. Got it. And can I have my kids live in there? No. Nope. They're restricted too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But your siblings are okay. You know, it's mm. weird who's prohibited in the family, who's not. So, you know, when you're looking at your family, it's your parents, your kids, your kids' spouses, grandkids, obviously. So it kind of goes up and down the family line. But when you start going across it, like your siblings, brothers, sisters, or aunts, uncles, cousins, they're all what is called non disqualified. So you can. Got it. We've had lots of clients over the years do that. They have a family member that lives in their rental. Now, you mm-hmm. still have to charge fair market rent. Of course. You can't just like do it to benefit them, but it is possible to transact with siblings or cousins, aunts and uncles. Got it, Matt. And what about any other kind of assets? That kind of, like, let's say I want to buy gold or silver yeah. or crypto. How does yeah. that work when you have, can I go to a gold dealer next to my house? I, I don't live near yeah. a gold dealer, but if I were, <laughs> can I just go buy them? And ask them to use my IRA or no? I mean, it's possible, but there's dealers that kind of specifically work with IRAs for one critical reason for precious metals, which is there's a storage requirement mm-hmm. and there is a purity requirement and a, there's a kind of, there's specific metals that are approved. Got so it. the precious metals your IRA can own is gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. But even within those different four types of metals an IRA can own for investment purposes, there's a purity requirement. And then the purity requirement, there's an exception to it if it comes from a government authorized mint. You know, so there's all these little contingencies. There's a whole chapter in my book of what's approved, what's not. Most of the precious metal dealers that know what they're doing, that work with IRAs regular, do know what qualifies and what's not. So right. you got to make sure you know which one's qualified. But then the second thing is the storage requirement. So you can't self-storage them at your home. They actually have to be custodied by your custodian or to storage facility that meets the requirements for IRAs. So that's what we use. We use a custodial partner that stores all the metals. That's in the business. I mean, it's like Fort Knox, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. track cameras on everything, metal detectors for the employees that literally knows how much like dental feelings they have. If they have like silver in their teeth, like it literally knows like to the gram because it's tracking everybody in and out of that place. So there's some storage rules on precious metals. Crypto is interesting though. We actually have a crypto IRA product was much more popular last year, but still around. People still are opening new accounts and investing mm-hmm. in crypto. We do that with Gemini just because we want it to make sure it's custody properly. Gemini is audited and regulated by the trust, the banking department in New York. We would never use a company like FTX or right. Voyager. We actually worked with their departments and got into diligence and on both of those companies, oddly enough. And it's like, how are you regulated? And this was before mm-hmm. they went under. Just right. Like, huh. Okay, that's not going to work for us. And I knew it wouldn't work for our regulator either way. So we do have a crypto IRA product that people can buy pretty much anything on Gemini, which is 
all the big stuff you can typically buy there. Awesome. Matt, is there any negative of using self-directed IRA? Any limitations that people need to be aware of? Yeah, a couple things there. I mean, first, self-directing is not for everybody. You know, if you don't have an alternative asset or a desire to go learn and educate yourself to feel comfortable, it's not for you. You know, some people are just like, I just want an advisor to do it for me. And my advisor's not into that. Now, I will say there are advisors that we're seeing more and more of them. We work with quite a bit that put their clients into alternative assets Mm -hmm. more and more regularly now, which is a positive development recently. But so one, just make sure it's right for you, you know, that you have actually have an interest in some alternative assets. And then the second thing is it takes a little more work, but like most things, particularly in making money, the things that will make you the most money are the things that take a little bit of work. That mutual fund that your 401k has been invested in for 20 years, that's now $400,000, you know, you decided to invest in that 20 years ago when you enrolled in the 401k and said, I want to retire when I'm 60 and my risk tolerance is moderate. You know, right. you don't even know what that fund is, you know, or what the <laughs> expense ratio is or how it's performed, right. you know? Right. And so the self-directed accounts are great for people who are more entrepreneurial that like the details and like to learn. And they're willing to like take control of this money to go right. build a legacy of wealth for themselves and their family. And I think that's, who's really attracted to self-directed IRAs is they're like, Oh my gosh, I've got this pot of money over here, this opportunity to really grow and build my wealth. Mm-hmm. I want to learn as much as I can about it. And what happens when you do that is you might learn, oh, a mutual fund in the stock market is not my only option. You might still be invested in it. Right. We're just saying, and our clients that have been successful is like, that's just not all they're doing. They're learning to invest in other asset classes. And that's what the self-directed IRA allows. And Matt, can you partner with IRAs? Kind of like, let's say I have an IRA and you mm-hmm. have an IRA. Can we partner together and take a deal down? Or that's Absolutely. not, that's prohibited as well. Nope, absolutely. So those are called multi-member LLCs is how we would structure that. So usually if we have multiple IRAs, let's say the two of us wanted to go invest or buy a piece of real estate together. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you want to put in a hundred grand from your IRA. I put in a hundred grand from mine. We would split up the ownership 50-50 of the LLC. Got it. The LLC goes out and buys the asset, receives the income, pays the expenses, and then sends 50% of the profit to your IRA or 50% to mine. Got it. Now that split of the ownership always has to be on dollars invested though. That's one thing Mm. that sometimes people are like, well, I found the deal, you know, and I want my IRA to get 60%, although it's only putting in 50% of the money. I want to get a little bit more. You can't do that. Your IRA only gets credit for what it's invested in. And what about me partnering with my own IRA, Matt? Can I do that? So I have some liquid cash and can I, mm -hmm. say, go ahead. Yes, that's possible too. But again, it requires the LLC and it's a little more complicated. So let's say you wanted to do it with your IRA. Let's say you had 60 grand in your IRA and 40,000 personal dollars, just so I can do math here easily. That's fine. You're going to buy an asset for 100,000. That would require an LLC. You know, your IRA puts in 60 grand, gets 60%. You put in 40 grand, you personally get own 40%. Now this LLC Mm -hmm. is a partnership for tax purposes, Right. The LLC is going to own the asset, receive the income. You have a bank account for the LLC. You can be manager of the LLC also. You can't receive a salary or compensation, but you can just sign on the contracts for the LLC. You have a bank account, like I said. And then you split up the profits based on the percentage of ownership that was set at the outset. Now, when you do that with yourself, or even if sometimes it's popular, it's like, well, I want my IRA and my spouse's IRA to right. partner into an LLC. Or it's my Roth, my traditional, and my spouse's traditional, you know. 
going in, you know, we always again break up the ownership based on dollars invested. Now there's one little hang up on that structure when you start using yourself, your IRA, your spouse's IRA. These are disqualified people coming together. Mm-hmm. Is you have to come in at the same time. So what you can't do is you can't be like, well, I own an LLC 100%, but I want to sell 50% of it to my IRA. That's going right. to be a prohibited transaction. Or my IRA owns this LLC 100%. I want my spouse's IRA to come in six months later Got and it. put in cash. That doesn't work either. Because now you're buying and selling ownership in the LLC between your IRA and a disqualified person. Yeah. But when you do it from the formation of it at the outset, you're not transacting between each other. You're just co-investing in an asset, which is the LLC at this point at the same time. So it's not prohibited because you're getting the ownership based on the dollars you're putting in and you're not transacting with other people. You're co-investing into an asset at the same time, buying the LLC ownership from the very beginning when no one else had owned it. So there's a whole chapter in my book on that. We've got podcasts on our Directed IRA podcast on the multi-member IRA LLC. So, but that's a common strategy. A lot of people just do an LLC, their IRA owns 100%. That's called a checkbook IRA LLC we do that too, where your IRA owns an LLC 100% and you have an LLC that does the transactions and you can have a checking account associated with it. That's for people that are like, maybe you're flipping a property or buying property at auction or you're doing short-term private money lending all the time. You got a lot of transactional stuff you want more control of. People use that IRA LLC. I think it's also not for a common, if you're just basically going to be passive your entire life on your yeah. assets and you're investing in something, you don't need that because that comes right, with additional responsibility. Right, yep. kind of like and, uh, cost, yeah. <laughs> and cost, yes. And yeah. you want to be careful with these things because these things can also blow up in your face if you don't do it right. So mm-hmm. if you're someone, and I would love to get your perspective, if you're someone who basically says it's too much work for me, I don't want to mm-hmm. do any of that stuff. I just want to ask Matt, hey, I found a deal that Socket's coming up with. I like yeah. to do it. Can you transfer X dollars into Socket's fund? Mm-hmm. And that's all I care about. Yeah. Now it's between you and Socket, yeah. how that transaction happens. That's all I want. Yep. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's like every day, you know, we're opening, you know, 30, 40 accounts a day here. And that's what's yeah. happening is, and it's the same three steps. It's, they're going to open the account. They're going to fund it. Usually again, it's a rollover transfer from an account somewhere else. And then they're going to authorize us to invest it in Socket's fund, you know, or whatever right. deal or opportunity you have that they want to invest with you. And so, you know, a lot of people who self-direct, there's different types of people who self-direct. There's people that are just interested in these alternative assets. They want to get out of the stock market or they want mm-hmm. some diversification. They're looking for something that gets better yield, but they don't want to run the deal. Like they don't right. want to do the deal. They're like, I got a job. I got good income. I'm building my wealth that way. Let me work with other people that help me invest my money. And then you got other people who are more deal maker people that use their IRAs. But the first category is actually the larger category, Correct. you know? They're investing with other people that typically have the deals and the deal flow. They just have the retirement accounts they want to fund and get the return. Awesome and awesome. Matt, we're getting to a point here where I know we all have a, we both have a hard stop. So I want to respect mm-hmm. for your time. So we're coming towards the end of the show, Matt. We always end the show with two questions. The right. first question is going to be, when you look at your migration journey and you reflect on it, if you were to go back to your teens, 18, mm-hmm. 20, what are the key insights you'd share with that person? It's a good question. I'll tell you. I mean, I'm still working on stuff myself. Yeah, I'm still, there's still try, things I'm trying to figure out. But mm. a couple thoughts. One is have a good mentor. I've had a couple that are good. I'm actually looking for a good one right now. And you need a different mentors at different phases of your life. Yeah. You know, that'd be going back to my younger self. I would be like, be a little more 
intentional about that and finding mm-hmm. a good mentor. The second thing is realize this is just in growing our company. You know, I'm have a hundred plus employees now and we've grown very quickly and have had a lot of success, but it's been a lot of hard work. What I would say there is, and just going back and I would say, realize that you're not the smartest person and the smartest person is the person who realizes they're not the smartest person and find the other people that can complement your weaknesses. So you got to know yourself a little bit and that's going to drive you to success or your organization or company to success. And so that's really what I've been focused on the last few years is getting the people in our organization and our company that complement me, that are better than me and learning from them and letting them lead and guide. Sometimes it's a little humbling. You know, I think most people are entrepreneurial or are very confident in themselves, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you run into a danger of being able to really grow or scale an organization if you don't appreciate and seek out for the people that can make you better, complement your strengths, have stuff, strengths, qualities, intelligence that you don't have. And so yeah. that's something I wish I came on a little bit earlier. No, I agree. I think you need an ego to be an entrepreneur. Otherwise, you won't be yeah. able to <laughs> think your idea is good enough, right? You'll never take yeah. that first step. So you need some ego. By the way, you're saying keep that ego in check. So yeah. don't get it overinflated where you think you know the answers for everything. Because you may, at a certain stage, you may know answer to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Not everything. But you will hit a spot where you're going to plateau. And yeah. to break out of that, you need somebody to show you what you're not seeing. That's mm-hmm. really where the, I think the mentors have been, in my journey, my own journey, where mm-hmm. mentors have been very, very helpful. I'm, I think that's really what you're sharing as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that everybody's unique too. And the one thing I like that I've kind of in my personal mantra is you need to go your own way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of value in modeling other people and what they've done. And I love that. And that's what I think a good mentor is good at. You can model some of the lessons they've learned and the things that they've done. But also at the same time, go your own way. Find your own path. Even in our industry, you know, that's something that I try to do. There's things we do the same as other companies. There's a lot of stuff we do differently. Yeah. And frankly, those are reasons I think we're successful and they're not. And we're growing and they're not. And so that you could apply that to any industry or types of investing is there's a lot of value in charting your own course and not just following the whole crowd. I love that answer, Matt, because it's a very crowded space. There's a lot of self-directed mm-hmm. companies. Yeah. But there's a reason why you're on the show and a lot, a lot of companies are not. It's because <laughs> I've done my research. So I wanted to bring the best. Yeah. So thank you for coming it. on. Matt, last question. Yes. What are you seeing the humanity is missing? Because you're, you're interacting with a lot of people right now, right? Mm-hmm. And you hear their concerns, their fears, their demons that they're dealing with. But if you start to distill out of that, where the humanity should migrate towards? I think that's interesting because it ties to investing quite a bit is people's emotions are caused them to make bad decisions. And you know, a lot of our clients, I'll tell you, a lot of clients that are successful have big accounts here. Love it when things are all upended right, like they are mm-hmm. right now in a lot of the investment space because it's where they make money. They need a little bit of chaos to make money. Right. And that's where they find opportunity. But a lot of people make terrible decisions, investment decisions. They don't invest. They stand on the sidelines. You know, the typical mantra of buy low, sell high, they yeah. miss out on, right? Because they freak out and their emotions kick in when the market's low and right. they sell low you know, because they think it's going bad. And then they only buy when the market's already rebounded and everyone else is making money and they miss any opportunities for gains. So I think just from an, I'll say on the investment side of things, 
people just need to keep their emotions more in check and think more logically, try to be more analytical. But one of the things I sense is a problem, and it's one thing I think self-directed IRA solves a little bit, and I was talking to this about someone that's going to be on our podcast soon, is you can do well and do good at the same time. Mm -hmm. And self-directing is one of those things where you can do it. I mean, we see people invest their IRAs in, you know, fixing homes in their community and revitalizing communities that, right. that are blighted, that need the investment, that other investors are not going to, investing in small businesses. You know, when COVID hit, I saw a lot of accounts investing to support small businesses by doing private loans from their IRAs to keep them afloat. Some of them were buying stock and ownership in them to fund them to keep them afloat. And so self-directed IRAs can really it's somewhere you can actually invest in your own backyard. Like you can make mm. an impact in the businesses and the real estate and the things in your community. And I just love that. And I, a lot of the clients that work with us just like that tangible nature of it. Not only can they find the opportunities because it is in their backyard sometimes, but it really affects their community and the businesses that they can interact with. And so, and I think as we've grown and expanded as a country and people's investment dollars aren't as tied to them personally, you know, it's all in Wall Street in some mutual fund. You don't even know who's managing it. But the self-directed IRA brings you closer to home and can keep you more connected to your dollars. I love that, Matt. Matt, on that note, thank you again for all the value you've added. Yes. An hour is too short to talk about a topic that took <laughs> you a long time to understand. But I think you, you yeah. added tremendous value, a lot of these questions. So I would love to bring you on and at another time we'll figure that schedule out. But thank you again. If people were to reach out to you and find you, what you do, where you are, and learn more about your offerings, where can they find you? Yeah. So directedira.com is where you can go if you need to set up an account, work with our new account team members. You can schedule a free appointment right on our website to open a new account. Matt Sorensen, just M-A-T. It's Matt with one T. I know it's tricky. <laughs> and then it's S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N. You can find me. That's my handle on most social media. On my YouTube channel, too, where I'm putting out content. We got two podcasts, the Directed IRA podcast, which is on all the podcast apps, and it's just about self-directing and retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. And then I co-host along with my partner, that one, and the Main Street Business podcast, which is more tax, legal, um, general, wealth-building, small business. And so those are both weekly podcasts that you can catch too. So we're out there. Love to help anybody, particularly in the self-directed space that wants to take control of their retirement and invest in the assets that know and that interest them. Awesome, Matt. We'll make sure we include all the information in the show notes below. But thank you again for joining me and my audience. I really, really loved what you had to share. So thank you for Thanks, that. Thanks, Hako. My pleasure. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.